Old Testament reading, Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, we'll be reading the whole chapter, uh, starting an evening series in the book of Joshua together. Let's give our careful attention to God's very word. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren, armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. So they answered Joshua, saying, All that you commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Let's pray together. O oh, our God, what we have not, grant us what we know not, teach us. What we are not, make us. According to the image of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. As Joshua begins, as the book of Joshua begins, Moses is dead. That's how the book starts. Moses is dead. The people are there. They're, they're on the brink of the promised land. Remember, this is the, the land that the people of Israel have been looking forward to for generation after generation after generation. Over 400 years before, 
God makes a promise that they'll come back from Egypt to get this land. And they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Think of that, 400 years. That's longer than our country has been a country. They've been waiting for this land, waiting for their inheritance. It's been talked about from generation to generation. And and then finally, Moses brings them out of the promised land to take them into their inheritance. They get to the promised land and and they 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 balk in fear at it and uh, at the the inhabitants of the land and their fortresses and their giant stature so the people have been waiting for this land and and then Moses leads them into the wilderness for 40 years of wandering because of their unbelief and sin their refusal to to trust God so they've been in the wilderness that generation dies the next generation 40 years in the wilderness under Moses waiting for this land. And then Moses dies right before they're about to enter that promised land. He's the only leader that, the, that this generation has known. He's the one who brought the people out of Egypt. He's the one they've been following and, and depending on in so many ways. And now he's dead just as they are about to enter this crucial stage of their history of actually entering in to conquer this land that God is giving them. We might think of a, a parallel in our history. It might perhaps be Abraham Lincoln being assassinated right at the end of the Civil War. You know, you're, you're, at that crucial moment, your leader is taken from you. So, so in the wake of Moses' death, this question hangs over Israel. Is Moses' assistant, Joshua, going to be up to the task of leading us into the Promised Land? And then, and then the other question, are the people going to unite under this leader? Are they going to unite under him and follow him bravely, courageously, and to take the land? So those are, those are the two questions that, that we're faced with as we start the book of Joshua. One, can Joshua lead? Two, can the people follow? Can Joshua lead? Can God's people follow? Now that's a historical question. That's a question that the, that, that the text it presents us with. It's the, the, the text gives us the answer to those questions. But there's another, there, are, there are other questions here. Parallel questions, which we need to ask ourselves. One, can God's appointed leader lead us? Can God's appointed leader lead us well? And and then the second question that goes with that, can we follow the one that God has appointed to lead us? Those questions are important for us. They're relevant for us. Because as we we read in, in Hebrews 4, there remains a rest for the people of God that we have yet to enter, that we're striving towards. It's the heavenly promised land. We are the the church militant, engaged in a holy war. Yes, Christ has gone before us and claimed that promised land for us. He's there, and He's calling us there, but we we must fight for it, press on towards it, as Hebrews makes so clear. So we, we are engaged in this holy war, brothers and sisters. And we're not just fighting for a typological promised land. We are fighting for the real deal, for, the, for, for, for what that promised land was pointing towards, for the heavenly one. And we're not fighting flesh and blood, but the spiritual powers of, of darkness. We're fighting indwelling sin and temptation and, and all these things. So here we are at the beginning of another year, Another year we are called to this holy war, uh, called to press on, to, to, to strive that we might enter that rest. 
And who knows what the year will hold, what opposition we might face. So the question's for us, can we trust that God's appointed leader will get us there? Can we follow him? Can we trust that he will lead us well? Can we follow him faithfully? Those are important questions for us that this text answers for us. So our first question, our first point can, can, can Joshua be a competent, courageous leader for the people of Israel? And the corresponding question, can, can God's appointed leader for us be a competent, courageous leader for us? So the Lord's command to Joshua, we see here in verses 1 through 9, deals with, with those questions. So look with me at verses 1 through 9. In this section of the, the chapter, the first half, God is giving Joshua a charge, a command. Verse 2, he commands him to take up the mantle of leadership to bring the Israelites into the promised land. This is the moment they've been waiting for. Like we said, they've been waiting for this for so many years. But this, this isn't going to be an easy task, crossing, uh, crossing over the Jordan and going in to take their inheritance. Um, Joshua's position of leadership uh, is probably a very unenviable position. I don't know that there are many people vying for it. If you look at Moses' experience of leadership leading the Israelites in the wilderness. Now, the, the people of Israel are not few in number at this point. There's, um, numbers, uh, numbers 146 tells us there's a half million men, 20 years old and upward. So scholars estimate a, a, a total of several million people if we include women and children. So there's a, this is a huge group of people that that would need to be led into the promised land. That in itself is a daunting task to lead that many people into a new promise, into a new land. And then, of course, Joshua remembers the last time they came here to enter the promised land, how the people uh, were terrified at the, the opposition they faced and, and wanted to head back to Egypt. He remembers that. And, and this is a different generation now, but have those, uh, they're not going to, be tempted to, to follow after the sins of their fathers. He knows, Joshua knows what this people can be like. He, he was with Moses. He was his, his assistant. He, he saw the complaining and the whining and the grumbling and the rebellion of the Israelites. Have, has this generation really changed from their parents' generation? So there's a formidable challenge here, isn't there? A daunting task to lead these people into the, into the promised land. So God commands Joshua three times. In verse 6, verse 7, and verse 9, he says, Be strong and of good courage. This is what Joshua will need. If he's going to have success and, and prosper in bringing the people into the promised land, he has to have strength. That's what we see here. And of course, this includes physical strength. He's going to be leading the Israelites in battle. It includes mental strength to, to be a, a keen strategist and thinker and lead the people well. A strength to hold this people together. He needs to be bold, the text says. Courageous, that word could be translated as, as being bold. To be, to be quick, to be decisive. Not to hesitate, uh, not to do things with half a heart, but to be confident. But this strength, this, this boldness, this confident leadership that he needs to have for this task, that God is calling him to have for this task, it's not mainly about these things. It's not mainly a physical or even mental thing. It's a spiritual strength, a spiritual boldness and decisiveness that he needs. Listen to the way God puts the command in verse 7. Be strong and very courageous to do, uh, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. So what should characterize his boldness and strength 
and leading God's people? Well, it's the law of God. It's, it's a righteous and holy life lived in the strictest accord with God's law. That's the kind of strength that Joshua needs as he leads the people. It's the strength of obedience, total adherence to God's law. Verse, the rest of verse 7 says, do not, a turn, do not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. Don't shift from this law, Joshua, not in the slightest degree. No matter what opposition you face or what temptations might come, what might look easier, don't shift from this law. Therein lies the strength and the courage of, that Joshua's, uh, Joshua needs to have for leading this people. If Joshua fails to, to keep this law, then it seems the people won't be brought into the land. If he succeeds in keeping this law, then the people will be brought into the land. Do you see the point here, brothers and sisters? What the people need to be brought into the promised inheritance is a courageous captain. And verse 7 tells us that the courageous captain needs to be a righteous captain, one who knows God's law. God's appointed leader must know and keep his law if the people are going to be brought into the promised land. And so, of course, this text is pointing us to Christ. He is the one who has that unbending courage to keep God's law and to live that life of righteousness. He's never distracted from a perfect adherence to God's law. He's our, he's our captain. He is, our, he is the, the God's appointed leader that, that God has given us. And he has obeyed God perfectly so that we might have entrance to our inheritance. That's, that's what we see here first in this command to Joshua to be strong and courageous. It's to, it's to have that adherence to God's law, and that's what we see fulfilled in Christ as, as this points us forward to Christ. So that's, that's the command that God gives Joshua. But it's not a bare command. It's not, it's not just, here's a command, go and do it. No, there's a, there's a promise here. In fact, there are three promises here. This command to, to lead the people in with strength and courage according to God's law, it's wrapped up with promises. It's interwoven with them. Three promises here designed to bolster Joshua's boldness. Number one is this. It's possession. God says, you will possess the land. We see this in verses uh, 2b through 4, then again in verse 6. So in verse, in verse 2, God calls the land, the land I am giving you. In verse 3, he, he promises Joshua, every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I told to Moses. So he says, I have given this, I am giving this to you, I have given this to you. So even as he's commanding Joshua to go up and lead the people into the land, to take this land, he says, I've already given it to you. You already possess it. In verse 4, he describes this, uh, this promised land in the most expansive terms, all the way to the Euphrates River. It's a huge section of land that's promised here. This is what you will possess, Joshua. And then in, in verse 6, he calls the land the inheritance which I swore to your fathers to give them. God has committed himself to giving the people this inheritance. They already possess it. That's, that's the first promise. Even as, even as I command you, Joshua, to go up to take this land, you already possess it. That's the first promise. First, uh, the, the second promise. 
Not only will you possess the land, God, God says, secondly, I will be present with you. God's presence. We see this in verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Verse 9. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is promising Joshua, yes, I'm commanding you to go up and take the land, to be strong and have courage, but hear me, I will be with you. I will be present with you. I will be right there strengthening you. You will not go without me going with you. And no foe can stand against the Lord. No foe can overcome the Lord's strength and the Lord's power and the Lord's purpose. God will be present with Joshua. That's the second promise. The third promise is provision. So the first promise was possession. The second presence, the third provision. God says, I have provided you, Joshua. I have provided you with everything you need to lead this people well. I have given you all the resources for this courage that I'm calling you to. We see this in verses 7 through 8. We already saw in verse 7, the law uh, being, being, uh, uh, being strong and courageous means keeping God's law. Verse 8 goes on with this same idea, calling Joshua to meditate on God's law day and night, to, to know this law and to follow this law. But there's not just a command for Joshua there. It's also a promise. It's the promise of provision. God is saying, everything you need for leading this people is in this book. It's in this law that I've written down and, and, and given to you. This is what you need to prosper and have good success. All the resources for courage and strength to keep my law and lead this people are here at your disposal. These are the three promises we see here God gives to Joshua. God is telling him, yes, you, you are equipped. You are able to lead this people into the promised land. You can follow Moses' leadership because I am with you, I'm strengthening you, and I'm giving you success. And God is telling the people of Israel here that the, the leader he's appointed is competent and courageous to lead them into the land. Well, very good for Israel and Joshua. What about for us? We are in the, the, the fight. We are in the midst of the conquest of the heavenly promised land. Uh, we are the, the saints militant. Who can lead us into the promised land? Think about how daunting a task that is. Not, not just some millions as the Israelites were, but far, far more. Stubborn and sin-prone people as the Israelites were. Who can lead us into the heavenly promised land? Well, the answer, of course, is Christ. And we all know that, don't we? That, that Christ is the, is the only leader who can bring us into our heavenly rest. But brothers and sisters, I think much of the time, we think of Christ as an absent leader. The Israelites, they could look and see Joshua there at the front of the battle line as they're marching in to take Jericho, Ai, whatever... whatever battle it is, we, we, we look and we don't see Christ here with us. But, but he's, he's, an, he's, he's, he's not physically here with us. He's not, uh, we can't set our eyes on Him. But He is with us by His Spirit. He is active and present with us to lead us by His Spirit. Christ is the perfectly competent and courageous captain, far more than Joshua was. And he is a present 
captain for us. We see this brought out so clearly in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Christ has ascended. He's, he's, he's won the victory. He's gone ahead of us into the heavenly rest. But, but Luke says in Acts 1, 1, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he's saying, I, I wrote about what Jesus began to do and teach. Now I'm going to write about what Jesus is going to continue to do and teach. The Acts is really the Acts of Christ. The Acts of Christ through His Spirit, in His Word, through His church. And we see Christ's active leadership throughout the book of Acts. And, and brothers and sisters, it didn't stop with the end of the book of Acts. We still have the Spirit leading the church through the ministry of the Word. That's how Christ leads us. He's a present leader. And He's a competent leader and a courageous captain. And, and we need to see that. We need to see that as we head into this year, as we, as we see ourselves engaged in this holy war, there is no pastor or teacher or leader or politician and, and not even our own hearts that can lead us right and lead us well apart from Christ. The only leader able to bring us into our heavenly rest is Christ. He is the only one who will perfectly keep that law of God, who has perfectly kept it, and who can strengthen us to keep it more and more. He's the one alone who by His Spirit can bring us into the promised land. So is he a competent, is God's appointed leader a competent, courageous captain? Yes, yes he is. The second question, though, and the second point, are we going to follow him? Are we going to courageously follow after the one that God has appointed to lead us? Let's turn now to that second, that second point, Joshua's command to Israel, which we see in verses 10 through 18. So, so the first thing we see, Joshua, is God, has, God has given Joshua a charge. Now he turns and he gives a charge, a commission, to the people of Israel in the second half of the chapter. And, of course, the, the driving question now is, can the Israelites unite under Joshua? Can they follow his leadership like they followed Moses' leadership? Well, the first, the first thing we see that, that Joshua commands the people is that they prepare for conquest. He says in verses 10 and 11, uh, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Straightforward command. We're getting ready to cross the Jordan. The con- we're ready for the conquest. Three days to go, so get ready. Prepare yourselves. Equip yourselves. Get the provisions you need to bring with you. That part's straightforward. The second part of the command really then takes center stage, and that's what we see in verses 12 through 15. It's a command to be united with each other in this conquest. Let me read verses 12 through 15 just so it's fresh for us. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them. Until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. 
Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. So three tribes here have already gotten their inheritance. They have already got the rest. They have it. There is no one to drive out. They, they have this land. Uh, we read about this back in Numbers 32. Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have decided that they like the, inherit the land on, on the far side of the Jordan. Moses gives it to them, and, and so they've got their inheritance. But he, he gives them this stipulation back in Numbers 32. You have to promise that you'll go fight with your brothers when they cross the Jordan to get their part of the inheritance. So Joshua is reminding them of this vow, and, he, and he's saying, if you're, going, if you're going to be successful in this conquest, you must be united. It would be tempting for these three tribes to say, we have our land, we've got, we've, we've got it, we, we've entered our rest. Why should we risk our lives going to fight for you to get your inheritance? What, what gain is that for us? But that's not the way God's people are to work. Uh, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh need to go fight beside their brothers as though they're fighting for their own inheritance. You see how this command translates to us in, in our context. How, how do we, as the church militant, follow Christ courageously? How do, we, how do we fight the good fight of the faith well as the people of God? Well, by being united with each other. That's what this text is telling us. What is essential for success as the people of God in, in fighting the good fight of the faith and reaching that heavenly rest is that we fight alongside each other in this spiritual war. This is our captain's command to us. What, is, what does Paul say under the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit? In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Or the words of Christ as he prays just before his crucifixion, as he prays for his church, John 17, 22, he prays that they may be one even as we are one. 2020 was not a year that promoted church unity by any means. Um, the cultural divides, the polarization, we see it in the church. And that should grieve us. All these, all these other things... What matters most of all is that you and I are united to Christ, following the same Christ, bound together in Christ, engaged on the same side of the conflict against the powers of darkness and against sin and temptation, striving together to enter our heavenly rest. So let us strengthen each other, not tear one another down, but, but fight for each other, not against one another. Let us be united together. That's essential brothers and sisters, as this text tells us. But again, that's, that's the command, but, but even as God wove promises throughout his command to Joshua, so there's, there's a promise here for us. The command is accompanied by comfort. Joshua says, prepare for the conflict and, and be united in it. Fight for each other. Be bold in the battle because, and he gives a reason, three times, verse 11, verse 13, verse 15, the same promise it's the promise of possession. This is the land the Lord your God is giving you. Again, we saw this already with Joshua and God's promise to give to, that the land was already given to him. God is saying, go up and take the land because I've already given to you. You already possess it. We see this same, same logic uh, in the New Testament as well, even more clearly, as we talk about the heavenly promised land. Uh, Paul talks about the Spirit as the down payment 
of our inheritance. He's the guarantee. We already have the down payment. We already possess the inheritance in Christ. So let's go on and, and take it. That's, that's the way that works. First Peter uh, puts this so clearly as well in First Peter 1. We see first the promise of God's grace, the promise of the inheritance. We read in verses 3 through 5. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There's the promise. First Peter, Peter's writing to the church. He says, here's your promise. You already possess the land. That land, the promised land of heaven is kept for you, and you are kept for it by God's power. And then he gives the command, verse 13, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the logic of the gospel. Here's what God has done. Here is what is already yours in Christ. Now, in the power of God, go forth and, and, and faithfulness and obedience. This is the guarantee brothers and sisters. And Christ is, Christ is already there. And he calls us onward to himself. And as surely as he has attained his inheritance, those who are united to him will attain theirs. So, this is, this is Joshua's command to the people. His command to them to unite, uh, to fight together in the conquest. We've seen his promise to them as well. You already possess this land. It's already yours. Finally, we see how they respond in verses 16 through 18, the very end of the chapter. So they answered Joshua, saying, All that you commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. The answer to the question, will the people follow Joshua, unite behind him, is, is a resounding yes. They say, yes, Joshua, you lead us. We will go where you call us to go. We will do whatever you call us to do. And anyone who doesn't, we will put to death. They're, they're, they're full allegiance to him. They're, they're saying, you are our captain. We will follow you no matter what. This reminds me of that wonderful scene the end of the, the movie version of the Fellowship of the Ring where, where Boromir, the, the son of the steward of, the, of, of Gondor, is dying and, and Aragorn the king is there. And, and Boromir, as he's dying, says to Aragorn, I would have followed you to the very end. My brother, my captain, my king. My brother, my captain, my king. I would, have, I, I would follow you. And that's, that's what the, the people are saying here to Joshua. We will follow you. You are our brother, our captain, and our king, and we will follow you to the end. And brothers and sisters, that is to be our response, our attitude to the Lord Jesus Christ. I will follow you to whatever end you call me to, to whatever, wherever you call me to go, because you are my captain and my king. We're at the start of another year. Is this our commitment to Christ again this year? He is the only one who can get us to the heavenly rest, brothers and sisters. Is this our commitment to follow him faithfully like that? Well, in closing, I want to ask one final question together. Um, 
What does this look like for us? Okay, so Christ is competent to lead us. We are going to follow him faithfully. What does it look like, though, when we do? We, we saw this earlier when we read Hebrews. We, we saw, as we read Hebrews chapter 4, that, that we're, the, the author of the Hebrews is calling the people, press on, strive after that heavenly rest to enter it. But then in, in, in chapter 13, he gives us specifics of what that actually looks like and the kind of concrete details. And it's clear that in chapter 13, the author of the, Hebrew, uh, the book to the Hebrews has Joshua chapter 1 in mind. He actually quotes Joshua 1.5 right there in the verses of chapter 13. So he has this in mind. So these are, as it were, the specifics of what it looks like to be strong and courageous in following Christ to our heavenly rest. So let me, let me read uh, 1 through 6 of Hebrews 13 again uh, with this in mind. These are Christ's marching orders to his church militant. Hebrews 13, 1 through 6. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So those are what the details, some of the details look like of this life of following Christ courageously, loving one another, being united with one another, having compassion on those in need, keeping ourselves pure, uh, free from sin, being content with what we have to be bold, quick, decisive, and following God's law without wavering, even as Christ did so courageously. That's how we are called uh, to fight the good fight of the faith, brothers and sisters. And, and the promise again, he will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter uh, what opposition we face in this as the year unfolds, God will be with us. Christ is our active, present leader with us by his Spirit. We're going to be tempted to forget Christ, and to follow all sorts of other leaders. Follow Christ, brothers and sisters. He's the only one who can bring us into the heavenly promised land. Let's pray together.